Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series that airs every Wednesday. And guess what? We are on to Zephaniah. And I don't know about you guys, but um, every once in a while, there's these verses that kind of get pulled out of their context and they get held on to. Um, and so for me, one of those verses is in Zephaniah, um, and it's actually Zephaniah chapter 3, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the interesting thing for me is in studying this, it put that verse back in its context for me, um, which is always a good thing um, because Scripture cannot mean something to us today that it did not mean to its original audience in its original moment. Um, And so a lot of times you have to piece together what was going on in the lives of the readers uh, and in the lives of the author uh, that God used to write his book, a specific book at that time, um, and in just kind of the history and the story. And so these these books that we're in right now, the book of Zephaniah, actually takes place. Um, it is one of the last books in the Old Testament that was a pre exile book. And so we have three remaining books after Zephaniah of the Old Testament, and then we're going to finish Old Testament survey. Um, And so the interesting thing for me is that Haggai and the last two books, um, uh, Zechariah and Malachi, are all considered post-exile. And so what that means is that the Israelites had been allowed to come home. Um, And we'll talk about what that means for the context of those books. But the book of Zephaniah is still pre-exile. And so it's coming. It's imminent. Um, And so what we actually have here is the... um, This is another one of those prophecy and judgment books. That's the what for the book of Zephaniah. Um, The who, obviously, is uh, the person of Zephaniah. We know that he was the son of Cush. Um, I don't know if I'm even saying it right. It could be Cushy. I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of a weird name, right? Um, Son of, and then we get actually his grandfather and his great-grandfather, and, you know, so it's kind of interesting here because in a lot of these other prophets, we haven't gotten the full family history, but we're getting a big grasp of that here. And there's probably some significance to that um, because Hezekiah was one of the kings um, in the line. And so we think he was kind of a grandson um, or family member of one of the kings of Israel, which would have kind of put him in a wealthier royal family. Um, And so he would have probably been um, one of the who's who of Israel at the time. Um, And so I think that's important to kind of know here. They think that he actually came from some money and um, probably some status within the nation of Israel for whatever that's worth. And so the the where of this book, this is in Judah, okay? And if you remember, what's our difference between Judah and Israel? Well, the, it's the, the north and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is considered Israel, and it was destroyed and never existed again. Judah lasted a little bit longer, and Judah actually had some good kings. Remember, both of them had about 20 kings, and all of Israel's kings were bad kings. There was no good kings among them. And the southern kingdom, which is also called Judah, um, was mainly the tribe of Judah, but it also had another tribe 
tribe. Um, I believe it was the tribe of Benjamin in there too. But the kingdom of Judah had southern uh, was the southern kingdom, and it had actually several good kings, um, huh, about six of them, five or six of them. Um, and so they ranged in degree of goodness, so to speak. Um, and that was measured on how they led the people. Did they lead the people to restore their worship and follow uh, the covenant that God had established with Israel? Um, and how far did they go in that, in, in cleaning house and revival, so to speak? And so the one king that was probably known the most was King Josiah, and he was the best out of all of them at bringing reform to the spiritual house of Israel, so to speak. Um, and so one of the things he did that the others, the other kings failed to do was he went down and he shut and destroyed all of the high places um, where worship was being done, and he unified it back to the temple only again, which was something that none of the other kings, even in their encouragement of the people to get right with the Lord and to bring themselves back to the faithfulness to the covenant, they had not tackled the high places. They had allowed those to um, to coexist, so to speak, with worshiping Yahweh. And so it's kind of interesting. I was watching um, a very secular historical um, portrayal of the Israelites and, and this time frame with uh, Babylon coming in and all of that. And they actually described Israel as being polytheistic, which kind of shook me for a little bit. But when you look at the fact that in all of those high places, all kinds of gods from the nations surrounding had been worshipped, you can understand why secular people would think that the Jewish faith had been polytheistic at one point. That was never God's heart. That was never something that he tolerated all the way back to him establishing them as his nation. He was, you will have no other gods before me. That's one of his basic Ten Commandments. Um, and so, uh, honestly, it's probably to the shame of those early um, Israelites that they through history, are known as being polytheistic because that was not something God's heart had. Um, and that goes back to when they went into the land um, with Joshua, they were told to kick out the inhabitants in front of them for this very reason, because God knew if they didn't do that, that those other gods and worshiping all of those other um plethora of other gods that were in that region would soak into them and become a part of the fabric of who they were. And that very much would compromise their faithfulness to the covenant that he was making with them. And so all the way back, they were told to, to clean out the land before them and possess it, to own it, to take hold of it. Um, and they did it to various degrees, but they didn't follow all the way through. They got comfortable. They got comfortable, which is so like us. And and I think it kind of speaks a little bit to the fact that if we tolerate sin in our lives and get comfortable with it there, that we lose some of our faithfulness to God and walking consistent with him. Um, and so anyway, that was just a little parable and an extra tidbit for this morning. Um, so let's go back to our who, what, when, where, and so on. So we know that this was written by Zephaniah. 
We know that it is considered, this book is considered prophecy and judgment. Um, we know that this was written in Judah to the nation of Je- to Judah, the southern kingdom. It was written at about 641 B.C., uh, somewhere between that and 628 B.C., and so it is considered pre-exile. Um, and what we mean by pre-exile is this is before Nebuchadnezzar comes in and basically takes everyone that can make the journey all the way to Babylon. He just takes them. Um, and so there's this mass, um, uh, what word do I want? Like, um, just pillaging of people, of wealth, of everything. And the temple's destroyed at that moment and all kinds of things. So, and that was actually done in two waves. Uh, the first wave, they came and they got the best and the brightest. Um, and in the second wave, they destroyed everything and carted everybody that could make the trip off. And so the only people left for the exile, and this will come in a little bit more for next podcast uh, for the book of Haggai, but the only people left in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem, in that southern kingdom, was just this remnant of broken, um, desolate people that were eking out survival, and we'll get into a little bit of what that looked like for them, uh, because it was not a pretty existence at all during the exile. Okay, so why was the book of Zephaniah written? It was to motivate repentance. General outline for the book, we chapter 1 is basically the judgment that's coming onto Judah, the southern kingdom. Chapter 2 is the judgment that's coming to the nations surrounding. Um, and then chapter 3 is a promise of restoration. Zephaniah is one of the books that very clearly has that remnant of hope that uh, every single one of the books seemed to have in some form, um, every single one of the prophets. Uh, they were not leaving the people without hope. That's one thing you need to realize is that God always leaves a shred of hope somewhere. Um, and so that's what that's what brings the sinner home, you know, that God sometimes will allow punishments to come, but there is this hope of, if you confess, repent, and come back. Um, and big thing with the Christian faith is this idea of repentance. Um, this idea of stopping the direction you're in, turning around, and literally putting your back to the direction you were going before, and heading in the opposite direction. That's what the word repentance means. It's a U-turn away from the things that you were headed to before. Um, And so I think sometimes that in the church today, haven't we lost this concept a little bit? The idea of repentance. Um, You know, sometimes I think even in our relationships, we say sorry, but we don't necessarily turn and change our actions. Um, And so I think a lot of times we're even reluctant to say the sorry, aren't we? But the interesting thing is that with that that turning, that repentance, there is this hope of restoration that is offered. Um, you know, it's interesting because I remember growing up thinking that the Old Testament God was so harsh um, and he was just always threatening everybody and, and kind of had that idea of the Lord. And as I've grown to, and, and, you know, now I sit in my forties reading God's word after I've done it for, you know, 
Oh, it feels like a lifetime. But now I see God's mercy. I see his love that just abides. Yes, there's this warning, but having been a mom, you know, I don't rush my kids to a punishment without warnings along the way. And those warnings are opportunities for them to change their pattern, change what they're doing, change the behavior that I'm asking to stop. Um, you know, those are mercy moments that are given. You know, if you look back at some of the times where you can say, you know what, I was given a mercy moment here and I didn't take it. And I was given another one here and I didn't take it. Um, those are moments of God's love, not necessarily his harshness. Um, and so I, I don't know, it's given me entirely new eyes to see the old Testament. And then I did a study in Hebrews and the book of Hebrews just meshed the old and the new Testament together for me and helped me to see how connected they are. Um, you know, before that I was guilty of thinking that the new Testament was kind of the now book and the old Testament was kind of obsolete. And that is so not true. You really can't understand the New Testament without understanding the prophets in the Old Testament and everything that the nation of Israel's walked, because that's our foundation for the New Testament. And so we're getting ready to transition in a, several weeks, probably about a month and a half or so, um, into the New Testament survey. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to decide exactly what I'm going to include intertestamental, um, some history and some things that were just happening at the time and stuff like that. But um, let's continue and finish up Zephaniah. Um, so I've given you the three-chapter outline. The key verse for the book of Zephaniah comes out of Zephaniah 1.14. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, exclamation point, because I'm going to add that in there, because there's very clearly an explanation point. And then it says, in the warrior cries out, sorry, in it, the warrior cries out bitterly. And so the interesting thing is the day, the great day of the Lord. Okay, now one thing I want you to understand with biblical prophecy is that sometimes there is a near fulfillment, and then sometimes there is a future fulfillment. Um, and so you get kind of a double double portion, so to speak, with prophecy sometimes. And this is one of those examples because the day of the Lord is also what Revelations talks about. Um, and so there is a near fulfillment of this where it's talking about that exile, Babylon coming in, okay? And so there was a very real fulfillment of the prophecy happening um, very shortly after this book of Zephaniah is written. But then there's another one that is coming. And so there's a future fulfillment of some of that too. And so uh, some of this, honestly, to understand prophecy throughout Scripture takes a lot of study, and it takes purposely sitting down and understanding it. And sometimes that takes some help from somebody who's more like a theologian than I am. But um, we will talk a little bit as we go, especially when we get to Revelation, about prophecy. Um, and so, yes, I am going to cover Revelation. <laughs> uh, it, it, it will be very brief and very, <clears throat> very brief. But I will cover that. Um, the one thing I would encourage is if you guys are interested 
in um, understanding Revelation and biblical prophecy, especially future events, I would encourage you to look up a precept study. She does, uh, Kate Arthur does a four-part study on the book of Revelation. And if you do it with a group, it usually takes about two years to do it. You can do pretty much, you can do um, two in a year. Um, obviously with taking some breaks and stuff, but uh, it's usually a good two-year process to do the full four parts. Um, But I am in part three right now of four, and I will tell you, um, the book of Revelations no longer scares me. (laughs) Uh, And so you'll reap the benefits of that when we get there. Um, And so I may actually record that a little bit early so it's a little bit more fresh than when it would be when I get there, just so that we have it already done. Um, Because it is such a, a book with so much imagery in it and connections to other parts of scripture. Um, so there are so many other places in the Bible where that day is talked about. And so it really does help to build your timeline with Revelation and then look at those other passages and place events um, where they go on the timeline. So, um, and in case that will be coming down the pike at some point. <laughs> um, all right. So to finish this out, the one thing I wanted to kind of talk about with this one is that this was written during a season of revival because we talked about the king at the time was um, Josiah. And so whether Josiah went to the lengths he went to reform the spiritual spiritual house of Israel, so to speak, or the worship system, or whether that was going on as this was written, we're not quite sure— um, whether Josiah was influenced by the book of Zephaniah or not. But we do know that they were written about the same time that that was going on. So there was this season of revival and renewal to the worship system for Israel. Um, Josiah goes farther than any other king like we've talked about. Um, and he was trying to get away from this Assyrian influence and get rid of the foreign false gods. That was kind of his whole thing. And remember, the Assyrians had taken over the region um, right before Babylon. And so Babylon literally comes in and attacks Assyria, and Israel's kind of in the middle. Um And so they almost see Babylon coming in as their savior for Assyria, but then Babylon does their own thing. Um, And so it's, it's, it's kind of this interesting thing that's kind of happening. You can feel them in the space and time that they're in. They don't know what's going to happen with Babylon, but all of a sudden Babylon comes in and takes out the bad guy. Um, And so there's that kind of idea that's happening right about here. Um, And so Josiah is trying to get rid of the Assyrian influence. This was a symbol, um, that influence was a symbol or a picture of the power and influence that foreign countries had over Judah was them worshiping other gods. And so to really get rid of that kind of shows Israel standing on their own as a nation, sorry, Judah, the nation of Judah, uh, the southern kingdom. And so, you know, you have temple repairs being done. You have the book of the law, Deuteronomy. It's found and it's brought to Josiah. Um, And so he's reading the book of Deuteronomy, which is where God establishes that covenant with Israel. And so he's reading that and that's influencing the reforms that he's making. 
Um, you know, he's reading the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And so he goes after those high places and he destroys those, um, where those specifically where the worship of foreign gods was being done and flourishing in those areas. Um, and so he really did a lot of reforms to kind of bring uh, Israel back to a central worship of Yahweh alone. Um, and so that's pretty important to notice. Now, um, you know, there's a couple of verses that we could talk about in here, um, but the one that is often quoted is probably Zephaniah 3.17. Um, and so you've got to remember that this chapter, chapter 3, is that promise of restoration and hope, right? Um, and so in the midst of that, and we'll start at 14, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. Or another version says, He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And then it, it switches here a little bit. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of the exile is a burden on them. Um, behold, I am going to deal with I'm going to deal at that time with all of your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. Even at that time that I will gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Okay, now keep in mind, these are people that are about to have their entire reality devastated and ransacked. Um, and so this is definitely the hope that they have, even going into um, the exile. So with the little bit of time that we have left on today's podcast, let's talk about family history for Zephaniah. Um, and we're going to start with his great-great-grandfather, who was actually uh, King Hezekiah. Uh, he was a king of Judah, and he was the 12th king um, for after the divided split kingdoms. Okay, so he was the 12th to reign. And Hezekiah's name actually means Jehovah is my strength. And he was a good king. He actually served Jehovah faithfully and brought about some reforms to get rid of idolatry throughout the nation of Israel. But he didn't go so far as to get those high places. Um, so that's important to kind of note too here. But what I want to point out to you is the meaning of names um, and the legacy that is kind of laid out here in Scripture that hides because we don't know Hebrew. <laughs> um, so let me just point this out. One, we have Hezekiah, the great-great-grandfather, and his name means Jehovah is my strength. He names his son the Amariah. Okay, well, Amariah means Jehovah speaks or he promises. Okay, um, and so you have this idea of Jehovah speaking, um, which is one of my favorite concepts in all of Scripture of how God speaks into the lives of his people. Okay, so uh, Amariah has a son that he names Gedaliah. 
um, and I'm probably butchering these, so please forgive me. But his name means Jehovah is great. Um, And so he's the great-grandson of a king, obviously. And then he names his son a little different. Um, So I'm not sure what we do with Cushy because it it just means it has something to do with blackness and darkness. But doesn't seem to have a spiritual significance to it. But then we get to Zephaniah. Um, And Zephaniah's name means Jehovah is great. Um, and so we kind of have a generation that we're not quite sure what happened with his name, but every other one contains this name of Jehovah, of God is the center focal point for multiple generations in naming that son. Um, and so I found that kind of interesting because that's a family history. Um, that's a, a father who passes on um who passes on his faith to his son, even in simply how he names him even. Um, But that was what the instruction they would have received from the book of Deuteronomy, is to take these things and to teach your children and your children's children. Um, And so obviously uh, this young man has a very, very rich history of... um, of faith, of uh, walking with Jehovah. And so, you know, when the word of the Lord comes to him, he knows exactly what that looks like. He understands what he's supposed to do. Um, And so I think for him, it's very clear. Um, Anyway, so I just found his history to be pretty incredible. Um, And so I hope you'll spend some time in the book of Zephaniah, um, who by all accounts seems to be a pretty incredible young man um, with a family legacy of faith. I'm very grateful for the legacy that my family has given me. Um, And so I'm sure it seems like he was too. Uh, That is the book of Zephaniah. I hope that has been a good insight. And like I said, these aren't comprehensive by any means. It is merely to spike your curiosity and get you to dive into reading the scriptures um, and to kind of have an idea of what you're looking at and the time frame and what was going on. So the next podcast, we are going to talk about the aftermath of... um, basically Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple being destroyed, and um, the majority of the nation being marched all the way to Babylon, and and what reality looked like for the remnant that was left behind. Um, and so we'll talk about that next week. So anyway, thanks for joining. <laughs>